Unleavened Bread Ministries presents Hidden Manna for the End Time with your host, David Eels. Hello friends, this is David Eels. God bless you and thank you for joining us. Uh, We have some very important revelations to share with you that were shared with me over the last um, 30-something years, Uh, sometimes in word of knowledge or word of wisdom. They are very, I'll say, untraditional, but you should expect that in these days. Um, the traditions of men have been making of no effect the Word of God. And uh, these revelations will help you to cooperate with God in the time to come in manifesting His Son in you and in understanding the things that are going on around you and the great purpose that God has for these end times. May God give you eyes to see and ears to hear so that these will be a great blessing unto you. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You may hear some things here that um, are not fitting with your traditions. God bless you. Part 4, The Church and Tribulation Go back to the days of Noah. Let me show you something else over there. Why is it 45 days after the end of the tribulation period? Okay. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 17. The same thing happened in the days of Noah, but I didn't point that out to you before. You see, after the seven days, Noah was in the ark, but the ark didn't lift off yet. Verse 17, And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. Wow, isn't that interesting? Noah's sitting on the earth, for 40 days of the flood. Why, what's the difference 40 and 45? I don't know. When you find out, tell me, okay? I've asked the Lord, and I know He's going to tell me. But that's pretty close. 40 and 45. 40 days, Noah and all that he represents are in the ark. And they're on the earth, and the flood is going on around them, destroying the wicked. And they're sitting there watching this in the ark. They're seeing this in the ark, you know? Now, we don't have a physical boat to get into, do we? But we know the ark is Jesus Christ, don't we? And we need to abide in Jesus Christ because there is safety in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Lord told me one time when I was reading this, He told me that there was going to be a corporate fulfillment of Psalm 91 for the church. Now, you know Psalm 91 is true now, isn't it? It's true to all of us. If we're abiding in the secret place, which is Jesus Christ, And abiding in Christ, turn to Psalm 91. Abiding in Christ is something that you have to learn. It doesn't come automatically, right? (laughs) We're learning how to abide in Christ. The reason we get so many whippings is because we're stepping out outside the body too often. (laughs) The Bible says every sin that a man does is without the body. Did you hear what I said? The Bible says there is no sin in him. That means when you sin, you are not abiding in Christ because there's no sin in Him. And the ark is Christ. 
So I wonder what God's going to do here. Awesome. Psalm 91. He's going to deliver His people from sin like He promised, for one thing. <clears throat> the corporate fulfillment of Psalm 91 is going to happen in those 40 days. Um, the secret place of the Most High, Psalm 90 in verse 1 tells you, Thou, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place. It is abiding in Christ that is the secret place of the Most High. And abiding in Christ is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. It is to walk as He walked. Wow, interesting. And verse 24 tells us that it is to have the same doctrine that He and the apostles had. He said, if that which you heard from the beginning abide in you, then you abide in the Son. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that are not abiding in the Son. They do not believe what the Son believed. They do not believe what the disciples believed. And we're called believers. <laughs> it makes a difference what you believe, you know. Um, and number three, chapter three and verse six of First John tells us that he that abideth in the Son sinneth not. God's going to deliver his people from sin, from willful disobedience, right? So abiding in Jesus is not something that comes automatic. We are highly motivated between here and there to learn what it is to walk in His steps and to abide in Him. Verse, um, verse 3 says He's going to deliver you from the deadly pestilence. Uh, verse 5 says He'll deliver you from the arrow that flieth by day. Sounds like the nuclear arrow, right? And for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, uh, for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. And they're going to They'll be in the ark and they'll be watching all this going on around them. Verse 7, A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Can you imagine? That's exactly what the situation is going to be with the people of God who are abiding in Christ and they're there during the first 40 days of this judgment upon the world. Well, how could God preserve them? Because they're in the ark. Okay? And he goes on to say, Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Astounding. They're going to be seeing the reward of the wicked with their eyes, with their physical eyes. You see that? Only with thine eyes. Um, verse 10, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent. Wow, that's interesting. Do you remember the Passover? This was the promise for the Passover. You know what? There's going to be a Passover. When the death angel destroys everybody that doesn't have the blood over their doorposts, there's going to be a Passover. And no plague will come nigh the tent of the person who's got the blood, who's living, walking in and out under the blood, you know, over the doorposts, walking in, and, you know, the Lord talked about going in and coming out, right? And talking about under the blood. So the people that are under the blood are going to see the reward of the wicked. Isn't that awesome? This Passover is going to be exactly like the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Because they ate the lamb, they were delivered from every plague. They had to eat the whole lamb. They had to eat the, the head, the inwards, and the legs. 
you know, today there are a lot of people that don't partake of the benefits of Christ because they're not eating the whole lamb. You know, for instance, there are a lot of people who don't believe in divine healing or divine health. And, and of course, you don't get the part you don't believe. The part you haven't devoured does you no good, right? So, um, in, in the days that are coming, God's people are going to learn through seven days of unleavened bread, I'll share that with you too, um, how, what it is to abide in Christ. And they're going to be empowered by the latter rain to learn to abide in Christ. And um, the Passover is going to happen because, because the, um, the death angel is going to pass over the righteous and destroy all the wicked. How could God protect His people while they're out there watching a nuclear war going on? Especially one where they're attacking America, for instance. I mean, you and I are involved in that. How could God protect His people for 40 days of that? Because the sun and the moon are darkened. Well, look at the next verse here. Verse 11. He will give His angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. You couldn't even have an accident when the angels are in charge, right? And protecting you, right? Isn't that awesome? The the Passover and Psalm 91 are going to be fulfilled at that time. Look at uh, Joshua chapter 6. Here's a, a very neat little type and shadow that, that's hidden in here for us to look at that gives us all the timings. Okay. Now you, you remember when um, Joshua had entered into the promised land. The manna had, had ceased. The manna was the unleavened bread that they received in the wilderness. It represented partaking of Christ, eating Christ, right? He is the bread that came down out of heaven that gives life to the world. And we certainly need to devour Him to get prepared for a Passover that's coming. Okay, Devour His head, His head which is the mind of Christ, and His inwards which is the heart of Christ, and His legs which is the walk of Christ. We need to partake of all of Christ in order to be passed over. And that's going to happen because the, the tribulation is going to be a time when God's going to teach His people how to abide in Him. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. You know, Jericho was the first city of the promised land. What's the first city of the promised land? It's Zion. The New Jerusalem is the first city of the promised land. I want you to see that here as a type. See Zion. Because now they're ending into the promised land of the first city. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all the men of war, going about the city once. And thou shalt do this six days. Well, this, these are prophetic days. You know, No one's entered yet. And we've been going for 6,000 years, right? Okay, So, Verse 4, so after 6,000 years, okay, something's going to happen. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. That's the seven trumps of the book of Revelation, right? And we know that the seventh trump is the last trump, right? So seven trumpets 
of ram's horn before the ark. And the seventh day, which we just entered the seventh day, didn't we? No matter, most everybody calculates it within a two or three years anyway. We just entered the seventh day. The seventh thousand years from the beginning, right? And, and, shall, and you shall compass the city seven times. Now, now times, if you read in the book of Revelation, you know, for instance, um, Revelation chapter 12, it tells us three and a half years is time, times, and a half a time. That's three and a half. Times represents years, okay? So see that as years. So on the seventh day, after six days, on the seventh day, there are seven trumps, and they compass the city seven times. That's seven years. They don't enter, they just compass it. And the priest shall blow the trumpets. What happens after the last trump? The people of God are ready to go, right? They're ready to enter into their promised land, right? And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout. You remember what happened in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16? There was a shout in the trump of God in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52 at the last trump. Right? And the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall go up. I circled that in my Bible. Go up. Every man straightway before him. In other words, wherever you are in relationship to the city, you will go straight up into the city. See? Now, you see the type we got here? It doesn't fit a pre-tribulation rapture, does it? At all, you know. First of all, it's after the last trump on the seventh day. Um, and then there's, it's also after seven years that this resurrection happens, this resurrection rapture happens. Verse 15, we see the same thing. It came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up early at the dawning of the day. Now, there, there's something added there. It's early at the dawning of the seventh day. That could even be close to where we are now, right? Except that we haven't circled the city seven times yet. See that? So we've got something else to do before we enter into this early at the dawning of the day, okay? Something else to do. We've got seven times or seven years left. Encompass the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. That's clear, isn't it? It's, it well, it's, it's hidden, but it's, it's still clear. Okay? Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let me point something out to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there if you don't want it. It says, but, but these things happened unto them by way of example. And I have a footnote down here that says, Greek, by way of a figure or type. These things happened unto them by way of a figure or type. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. Do you know that all these things are being fulfilled in the end of an age here? But there are more than one end of the age. You know, in Jesus' day, there was an end of the age. The end of the age was when the beast destroyed the harlot in 70 A.D. From that day on, they were reprobated, you see. That was the end of an age. Now we're coming to the same time in our age. 
And the last part of it is going to be exactly the same. You see, um, Keep that in mind. Look at Deuteronomy 16 and 16. We know that what happened to the Jews was for types and shadows. If we only see the letter, what are we getting? We're only getting what they were supposed to get. Why do I say that? Well, the Jews were the letter people of God. And they had a physical kingdom. And their heritage was physical. It was a bloodline, a physical bloodline. And we're none of those things. We're spiritual people of God. And we're, the blood has been passed on to us spiritually. We're sons of Abraham by faith. We have a spiritual city, which is the heavenly New Jerusalem. So, if we look at their type and shadow, we should see something about our kingdom. We should know something about our kingdom. As a matter of fact, if we try to drag the letter of the type and shadow over into the New Testament, we totally destroy it. Because we're not talking about our kingdom anymore. We're talking about theirs. You see? Deuteronomy 16 and verse 16. you turn there? While you're there, I want to share something with you. And then we'll look at it. <clears throat> the Lord showed me some types and shadows in, the, in the, the timing of the exodus and the wilderness and the promised land, okay? There are, are um, three pictures that we can look at here. There is the, the time in Egypt, which is a type of the world. There is the time in the wilderness. And there is the time in the promised land. Three different pictures, three different, different time frames that are laid out there, okay? And we can see these three different time frames in two different ways. And this is what I felt the Lord told me. You can see them in parallel or you can see them in panorama. You know what panorama is? It's a, a wide view, right? Okay. If you take these three time frames and you put them in panorama, that is side by side in a wide view, and you look at the story that's written there, it's a true story. And the story is basically that God's people were in bondage in Egypt, which is the world. And there came a time when God decided that He was going to take them out of that bondage and bring them through a wilderness to try them to see if they were worthy to enter the promised land. And then He brought them into the promised land. They didn't, in the panorama view, jump over the wilderness straight into the promised land. Are you catching what I'm saying here? See? The church, what they're saying now, the false prophets basically are saying, we're not going through that wilderness. We're going straight to the promised land. Forget that. Well, no, that's not possible in the panorama view. The next step is the church has to come out of Egypt and go into the wilderness. And then they're going to be proven to be believers to enter the promised land. See, That's the panorama view. Now, let me show you the parallel view because you can see a lot in this one. The parallel view is if you took all three of those pictures and you made transparencies out of them and you laid them right over the top of one another and you looked through them to see a whole story. Let me show you this. For instance, the first view, the time in Egypt. The judgments that fell upon Egypt were very, very similar to the judgments that fall in the book of Revelation. Notice that? And the judgments at first came upon the Egyptians and the um, Israelis too. And there came a time when God separated between the Egyptians and the Israelis. I, I propose to you that the, the point is that 
God's people are very much like the Egyptians right now, and uh, it will take a few judgments before they decide to separate from Egypt and live in Goshen. Okay? And when they do, uh, God's going to separate the judgments between them and the Egyptians, and the Egypt, if they're going to fall on the Egyptians. Okay? Um, Egypt is a type of the world. Um, at the end of their time of bondage in Egypt, they left Egypt. See, we're talking parallel now. That's the end of the story. See, we're coming to the end of our time in Egypt, and we're going to leave Egypt. And, and at that time, there were seven days between the Passover and when they left Egypt. I want to talk to you about the last seven days in Egypt. Okay, that's on the parallel view. Okay. Uh, to point out another parallel view, the second one, is that, of course, the church is going through the wilderness as the last seven days, but the wilderness happens at the same time the judgments on Egypt happen. You see what I'm talking about? Sliding one right over the other. And you're looking through them and you're seeing God's people being tried while the world is being judged. You see? And then you take the last one and you slide it over it. And this is the time in the promised land. Now, you understand there, there's more than one parable to every one of these. So I don't think people ought to argue about them because if you see something that's there, it's there, you know. Some people say, well, the promised land couldn't be heaven because they have enemies to conquer. Well, we have enemies in the heavenlies who are being conquered. You see, they're going to be cast down. See, not only that, this world is a promised land because if you remember at the last trump, the very next verse says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. And there are enemies in this promised land. You know that this land has been promised to us. The meek shall inherit the earth. This is our promised land. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Thy kingdom come on earth. See, This is going to be part of God's kingdom. And right now, there are enemies in it that have to be conquered. See, so you've got the third, third view there that you're looking through. The, the third transparency, okay? Pick, I want to pick one of them, the first one, and point out to you the last seven days in Egypt. The last seven days in Egypt. Go to, um, oh, I already told you. Deuteronomy 16. First of all, he said in verse 16, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord. Appear before the Lord means appear before the Lord. <laughs> but if you take that as a type and a shadow, we can see that there's going to come a time, three times, symbolically that God's people come before the Lord. And all three of these represent the same thing. Okay, I'm going to pick out two of these and I'm going to pick out another one. I'm going to pick out the, the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Marriage Feast. I want to talk to you about the last seven days in Egypt. Okay, You following me? The last seven days. Because all these have to do with that. Three times in the year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. Well, that's of course his house. Right, in the feast of unleavened bread, in the feast of weeks, I'm not going to discuss that one because it's talking about the first fruits. The feast of weeks was the first fruits, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before me empty, before the Lord empty, which means, of course, it, it was said in, uh, for instance, uh, chapter 12, I think, that uh, you had to bring the fruits of your labor before the Lord. Nobody's going to come before the Lord without bearing fruit. That's what he's saying. Okay, nobody's going to going to be manifest before his kingdom or in his kingdom. 
Okay, uh, look at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. He talks about this feast of unleavened bread. It was after the Passover, after they had eaten the lamb, and they were getting ready to leave Egypt. By the way, we're always supposed to be leaving Egypt. But as a corporate body, the church is going to leave Egypt through the wilderness. That's what's going to happen. The overwhelming majority of God's people are living in the world and of the world and saved by the world. You know, And uh, God's going to change all that. Uh, in verse 15, Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. This is the last seven days that they were in Egypt or the world. The last seven days. It is a type of the tribulation. And you know when Jesus came, there's a perfect parallel between Jesus' coming and the man-child's coming in the book of Revelation. When Jesus came, He shared the unleavened bread, didn't He? And He rebuked the disciples. In fact, well, He warned the disciples. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Do you think we've got any Pharisees and Sadducees today? Lots of them. Lots of them. And... Um, Beware of their leaven, and they understood in the same in Matthew chapter 16 that he meant their teaching. Any teaching that, that is has got man's word in it is um, is not unleavened yet, is it? Okay. Uh, what is leaven? Leaven is what you put in the bread to make it more appetizing for the flesh, right? You know doctrines that make the doctrine of scripture more appetizing to the flesh? You know, like pre-trib all flyaway raptures or uh, unconditional eternal security or uh, ultimate reconciliation or uh, God is a God of love and He would never do that. You, you know these doctrines, you know. That's leaven, right? It's just, it's put in there to make it more appetizing for the flesh, for the old carnal man to accept it, right? It fills churches up with tares. <laughs> uh, so, but he goes on to say, you shall put away leaven out of your houses, for whosoever eateth leaven, bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Ooh, that's, that's a terrible judgment, isn't it? During those seven days, the people that feed on the unleavened bread have got nothing to worry about. But the people who add leaven to the bread are going to be cut off. That's what he's saying. And, you know, Jesus was that way. Jesus, God was accepting the bulls and goats that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people that were underneath them um, were sacrificing. He was accepting their sacrifice. But when Jesus came, He said, if I had not come and spoken unto you, you wouldn't have sin. But now you've got no excuse for your sin. See, when He came and shared the unleavened bread, it made them responsible. Not only did He share the unleavened bread, but it was confirmed with signs and wonders. And that made them more responsible. He said, if these signs and wonders had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. See? So what we've got coming is the same thing. An outpouring of signs and wonders because of the, the latter rain and uh, a sudden deluge of the unleavened bread. It's all going to hit us at the same time. This series by David Eels will be continued on our next broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. For more information and materials, go to www.americaslastdays.com.